0: Hey. Bonjour, comment ça va toolmone? Hey, don't worry, it's not going to be in English, <laughs> in French, I mean. Um, but uh yeah, I just wanted to welcome you guys. I hope everybody is doing great and yeah, welcome into this uh, leadership lounge. So I'm going to host it with uh, Joanne and not uh, Johnny as it was mentioned on Facebook. So this is a surprise. <laughs> and um yeah just um to introduce uh, our time together I just wanted to uh, to let you know it's a three part series. So we're going to touch on the topic of uh, money for this month and next month it will be um on the topic of power and in September it will be about sex. And in between, in July and August, we will have a special edition for the summer. So I don't tell more details. Uh, it will be a, a surprise. But I can't wait to see what is getting prepared. Um, yeah, we wanted to look at money, power, and sex as the main potential pitfalls that we could face up with as leaders. And today, we have the privilege to receive Lambda Cop. And we will introduce her in a few minutes. But it's uh, just amazing to be able to listen from her experience. Um Yeah, uh, so I'm Laurence. I didn't uh, introduce myself, but I'm Laurence uh, from YM Lyon. So Lyon is one of the biggest cities in France. And um yeah, I just wanted to share an amazing blessing is that after a few months, I mean, like six months of restrictions because of the COVID, they're going to reopen the pubs, restaurants and shops next week. So I'm so excited about it. <laughs> and yeah, I'm just excited to be able to, um, go to a restaurant and have some French wine and cheese, especially because it will be my, uh, wedding anniversary next, uh, next week. So yeah, this is just an update on what's going on in France. And yeah, so Joanne, um, Maybe you can tell us how are you and what's going on in Harpenden.
1: Yes. So hi, I'm Yuan One for you who don't know, I am originally from Sweden, but I'm here in while i and I've been that for the last six years. Yeah, we're we're doing as good as you can in a in a world pandemic, and England is we're rolling out our vaccines well, and we are. Getting a bit more freedom on Monday, so we're excited, starting to be able to have people indoors, mm-hmm. indoors in restaurants, so wow. it's good timing for the summer. So we're very excited here too, and I'm also very excited about today to hear Landa talk about uh, money, so it's going to be good.
0: Awesome. Yes. Yeah. So... Yeah, maybe you can introduce uh, Landa to us, maybe some, uh, I mean many people know her, but maybe new world leaders or emerging leaders uh, don't know her very well and she has so many to tell us, so if you can introduce her to, to us.
1: Yes, I will do my very best it, to do this <laughs> just and fair, but it's a great privilege to have Landa with us. and. She is one of our senior leaders in YWAM, and and I was I was uh, thinking about I think Landa is one of the most referenced speakers and leaders in YWAM through my years. It could help that Tove Polson has been my base leader from time to time, but in in different contexts, uh, Landa is uh, is referenced to, and it's it's always about. Uh, thinking about the spheres and thinking fruitfully about the spheres and thinking biblically about the spheres. And, and I think that's one of the, for me, one of the big things that that I appreciate about her legacy or the things that she's given to us uh, Christians is her way of thinking constructively and fruitfully about the spheres of society and, and washing away that sacred secular in a, Holy biblical way because that doesn't always happen in that best possible way. And sometimes we try to squeeze uh, the secular world into a Christian or holy frame, which doesn't always work and it's not always fruitful. So that is wonderful. But Landa has been in YOM for a couple of years, since 1971. And she has uh, pioneered uh, several things. She pioneered a team in Greece. And in Egypt, she's been part of uh, pioneering uh, the International College of Communication in the U of N. Um, she has uh, written two books, and a third one is on the way. So the first book is the Old Testament Template, that is almost like a, a staple book in YYM, together with "Is That Really You, God?" and "Making Jesus Lord" and others. Um, that, as I I would be sure for many of us watching, has been a big blessing. And, and a big challenge for us to read too and her second book is about government and then it's the third book that relates to the topic today which is money and i think it's uh, seven years in the making this book and going on uh, and ongoing uh, to see where it lands so it's, it's going to be wonderful for me personally i've i've been blessed i've, I've seen i've been with landa twice she taught in my master's program and it was, it was challenging and stirring and, and difficult and wonderful. <laughs> and there was tension and there was, there was revelation all at the same time. And, and I think that's what I appreciate, what I hear others say about Landa, but that I also appreciate that it comes with that tension, but it's a tension that leads to revelation. And I personally love a, a good portion of tension in my Christian walk. And I also heard her in other contexts. She was with our leadership uh, here in England, too, and and talking to us. And that was also challenging and stirring. And I just appreciate that so much. I appreciate people that stir us, that helps us ask the real important questions. So that is a brief introduction of (laughs) Landa. So welcome and thank you for spending time with us today.
2: Thank you. It's great to be with all of you. That's wonderful. Uh,
1: Should I start? I saw Laurence. Is is she still with us? Her screen has frozen. Let me just start and uh, pray for us and for all of us. And then I will hand over to Laurence to start with the questioning. Uh, So, God, I thank you. We just invite your blessing and we invite your presence with us. We recognize that you live in all of us through your Holy Spirit and we make ourselves, we, we position ourselves to be aware of the things that you want to stir in us today, how you want to encourage us, challenge us, comfort us, or shake us. All things are good with different emotions involved. And we just pray for your blessing today. Amen.
0: That's
1: good. Would you like to start with um, the questions, Lawrence? Yeah.
0: Yeah, okay, yeah. Um, so we had a hard time to choose the questions because the, we know that you have so, many, so much experience to share with us. But um, yeah, first of all, maybe we wanted to ask you to give us, you know, um, some a general idea of what the Bible says about money and God's heart for money. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
2: money's a funny word. Um, you know, I mean, we use it all the time. Uh, but of, of course, if you're talking about euros and dollars and rand, the Bible doesn't say anything about those currencies. It doesn't even say much about currency. Uh, it is mentioned, but but what what the Bible does talk about constantly is is uh, how to live. and to live, we have to have resources. The resources are the first thing God creates in Genesis one. All all the environments and the you know the light and space and uh, and day and night and the 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 clock that begins ticking, um, the the fauna and the flora and and the plants and animals and the uh, human beings. Uh, He creates the resources first, and then he creates the creatures to live in those resources. And at the end of the day, economics and finance and money is is about resources and how we get them and how well our system is working. So uh, God loves the material world. He made it. And he's, he's not only come to uh, to win us into his kingdom, he's come to restore his material world. Uh, we don't know exactly how he does that, but we know he has already begun to do that through Christ and in, through our lives. And he wants that to be ever clear as the mandate of our lives that we influence our communities with god's way to live and god's way to live includes work and remuneration and uh, ownership and responsibility accountability all of those things everything that you can say is any part of the provision of life scriptures dwell on and so the thing god reveals through the sphere of finance or the sphere of the means by which we live is his goodness because in hebrew uh the opposite of good would not be bad because it's not a it's it's not a noun it's a it's a it's not a What is that? An adjective? It's a, it's a, well, I forget all of that because I lost myself. Anyway, good means valuable in Hebrew and, and the opposite of valuable is worthless. And what God wants us to have is a good life and a good life requires many diversified kinds of resources in, in order to enjoy that life and it's not just a, a spiritual environment or a happy attitude. it's about having enough to eat and a place to live and you know a, a means to work and to earn that income so you can participate in the community. So yeah, beginning to end the Bibles the Bibles about resources.
0: Wow, thank you. What a good sum up in a few minutes (laughs) about what the Bible (laughs) says. Well done. (laughs) Uh, This morning I was uh, listening to a song and um, the the singer was uh, singing, uh, I don't count my money, I count my blessings. And... Uh, it really reminded me what you just said, you know, it's like blessings in all area, in all spheres of our life. And yes. and mo- money, but everything else, you know, and God is so good to us and we can count the blessings for our, our life Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes. Jehovah yeah. Jireh, God the Ex- provider. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, we, we also wanted to focus today on... Uh, specific issues that we could face up with, uh, as leaders and personal, but also, uh, in basis as leading basis. But let's start with the personal financial issues. Um, maybe you could list three main things, uh, that we could face up with. And, and maybe if you have some advices on how do we protect ourselves from these potential pitfalls, you know? Yes. Mm-hmm.
2: I I was really impl- impressed when Tova told me you were going to do these three subjects in this series because I had read many years ago that Billy Graham and his leadership team, who were with him his whole life, his whole ministry, which is quite rare, to have the same team that is working to lead a ministry that has that broad and long a history. And they agreed at the very beginning. They had prayed and asked God. Because they knew what God was doing was going to be big. It wasn't big yet, but they knew it would be. God just was opening the doors and people were flooding to their events. And so they felt uh, vulnerable. And they asked God, as leaders of the Billy Graham Association, and as men of God, accountable to God, what were the things that they, as a group of men and as individuals needed to be most careful about uh, that they would that that would stumble them, that would cause irrepute, uh, that would cause God's name to be uh, to be dishonored. And God spoke to them that it was power, power in personal power, in ministry power, and being carried away with that uh, finances. Uh, a lot of money has to be dealt with. The bigger the ministry, the more the money. Finances is pretty much a problem for all human beings. And, and sex. That mm-hmm. they had to be prepared that there would be great temptations. Mm-hmm. And if evil could overtake them because of sexual immorality, then evil would. Mm-hmm. So... They lived by every time they came together, which was which was at least once a month, if not more often than that, holding each other accountable in those four areas. They'd go around and each one would say, how are you doing with the headspace of power? How are you doing in the area of your personal finances and ministry finances? Where are you there? Uh, and, and of course, where are you in regards to your sexual conduct in your own life? And I thought those were wise men,
0: mm. wise
2: men. Yeah. And so I want, I want to go through three, three, uh, points of, uh, to watch out for personally. Um, and of course we could do much more, but the, but the. The first point I want to talk about is we're all corrupt, Uh, which is, you know, I know going to be your favorite discussion. The second one is uh, (laughs) uh, accountability Mm. in and out. Accountability is just another word for accounting, (laughs) Mm. but we like to think about accountability, but we don't often think about accounting. And the third one is, uh, let me see if I can read my own writing here. Uh, you, we must do the work to uh, to take care of the financial area of, of our lives. So if we go back to, we're all corrupt. I mean, you know, it's so funny in the world we live in because. We have corrupt nations and then we've got other nations that think they're really not corrupt. (laughs) (laughs) And usually the one that's not so corrupt is the one we happen to be from and everybody else is corrupt. Mm -hmm. But the more we have 24 seven news and global news, the more we know all nations are corrupt. Mm -hmm. Period. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Now I know I'm talking to Europeans, and I know you think corruption is all in Africa, <laughs> but it isn't. And all mm. you have to do is read enough European history and current events to know. Yeah, you got you got corruption too. Yeah, because uh, corruption is just the byproduct of being broken humans, mm. with or without and awareness of sin.
0: Mm.
2: So if you think you're not corrupt, especially in the area of finances or or power or sexuality, I I encourage you with all of the experience I have to pull yourself up by the back of your neck and slap yourself in the face and say, stop it. Mm. God says I'm corruptible. Mm. Yeah there's no one without sin so the question the question is where might i be living in a sinful way that i don't even recognize as sinful i can remember when we were in our our school of evangelism in lausanne uh, what a one of the one of the instructors said uh i would like for you to To ask the Holy Spirit, what are the things you have done uh, that were sin? Okay, and just write anything that comes to mind, write it down. And if it comes to mind, assume it's God who's spoken that to you. And... uh, perhaps you should have several sheets of paper. Well, I don't, I don't know about everybody else, but I filled about five sheets of paper. And in those days I was writing quite small. And I went, well, that's just absolutely overwhelming. And, mm. and part of the reason it was overwhelming was because I'd never gone to God and tried to clear the books. Yeah. So that I was running on current actions what I did today, what I'm doing this week, how I'm doing this morning—I—I I had just buried the past and never dealt with it. Well, God says you don't get to do that. We don't—we don't just sweep our past under the rug. We own it. Mm. So I found out I had books I'd borrowed in my library that I'd never returned. <laughs> there was a lot of those. Uh, you know, maybe CDs or 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 yeah. I don't know what to exchange now, uh, hard drives or, or whatever, but things I'd borrowed I never returned. And I and I'd see them and think, oh, I gotta take that back, but I never had. And in some oh. cases it was years. This is called theft. Yeah. You say, oh yeah, but I didn't mean to. Well, you wouldn't believe how much how much stealing is done by people who didn't mean to. I I had to write down and I had God speak to me about that here bumping into a car and and not leaving my name and address so they could contact me in case there was damage. <laughs> Ouch. Oh, man, that's a terrible one. Borrowing something from someone and returning it broken. Oh, my gosh. You know, I have a rule. And I tell people to live by this rule, never buy a YWAM car ever, <laughs> ever, ever, uh-uh. because it will be so broken and unrepaired by whom, by all those wonderful Christians who are driving it. Mm. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and not owning responsibility. So, you know, if I'm driving a YWAM vehicle and I have an accident and it's my fault, Whose responsibility is it? Mm. Not YWAM's. It's mine. Yeah. Uh, so you know, snack bars. I'm gonna just take this candy bar now. I'm gonna put the money in later. YWAM, wham kitchens. You know, the fruits laying out. And no, it's not mine. But hey, I'll just, uh, I'll just take this apple because it's not. You know, it, it's God's apple. <laughs> Whether we have debt that we've just forgotten about and left behind, how we deal with our taxes, there's a thousand ways, a million ways to be corrupt. And we need to be looking, bringing our accounts up to date and looking all the time for when our natural heart begins to lead us down a path that ends in destruction, because if we're not not being corrupt, because we're asking God to show us, then we are. Yeah. The second one is is accounting. You know, accounting, accounting, and accountants. I don't know that they've intentionally fooled us, but but we are often fooled by them because. Because they will they will make it sound like it's something we can't understand. And if you're a leader, you have to understand accounting and accountants. And, and here's what accounting is. Account, accounting is addition and subtraction. That's all. You can put the numbers in different categories, but all you're doing is showing what comes in and what's going out. And so if you can keep a bank account, then you can understand your base accounts. If you can keep a bank account, you can make a budget. Because all you have to do is go back to see what you spent and go forward to what's coming in. Uh, We know what we need, and we know what we need costs. But we avoid thinking about it. We we live like, like nomads. The only thing that matters is today. When, when <laughs> the nomadic lifestyle and the today mentality is what has produced the poverty of the world. If you're only living for what you know today and on what you know today, you can't possibly develop a sustainable lifestyle. Why? Because you've got to plan ahead to do that. And you have to do that in your own finances. You know you you can look at how many trips you're gonna make this year my my annual uh travel budget uh, by budget i say what i knew i was going to spend not how i knew it was going to come in was ten to twenty thousand dollars when i was when i was leading and there was no sense avoiding that and not writing it down and knowing it because it was scary <laughs> you've got to to account for what your needs are and then you've got to evaluate what your income is and what the difference is between the two and you've got to ask the holy spirit what does he expect you to do about the missing bit because we have to work constantly to make sure we are obeying the Holy Spirit and what he gives us to do in order to have the finances that we need to do what it needs us to do. And God will do the things we've never thought of, but not if we're not doing the things we could have done ourselves if we just spent the time thinking about it. Hmm. And by the way, when you write everything down that you've received, it needs to include gifts in kind. You you we tend to go okay I'll write down the money but wait a minute do you, do you remember that person that gave you a card that had a value that was that that you can write down do you remember that person that gave you a, a fabulous new suit of clothes that had a value remember those people took you out to a meal those were all gifts and when you write down what comes in you don't want to just write down the money which sometimes isn't that much, but you start totaling up all the other things piece, people have done for you, you realize, wow, I'm getting quite a bit. And it, it creates gratefulness. Hmm. Got to make sure I'm not throwing away my next point. <laughs> the third point is is we've got to do the work. Yeah. If you're in YWAM, you're called to the ecclesiastical institution That's a fancy word for church, but church gets confused between those who work there and those who worship there. And YWAM is an ecclesiastical institution. And from the very beginning, God has spoken to the leaders and re-spoken over the generations that we are called to live by donations. We are called to raise our own support and this is true in scripture in the old and new testament those who minister to god our response are 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 dependent on the people of god to support them in one way or another okay so a lot of people in our mission try to avoid thinking about it <laughs> well that's a sure uh recipe for failure. You've got to think about it because it's part of our responsibility. When we when we when we took on this calling, we accepted responsibility for that support. And 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 we have to own it. We have to get over, is this fair? This is so unfair. I have to raise my own support where the people just go to work, they get a check. <laughs> well, I had a guy say to me a long time ago in Germany, uh, he was in the military and, and it was an economic crisis in the world. And And he said, oh, well, this is not hard for you missionaries because you live by faith. He said, those of us in the military have to live on our salaries. you see everybody lives by faith in something
0: yeah (laughs) yeah
2: and all of god's people should be living by faith so even if you're working you don't put your faith i had an offer to work for general motors once and i thought you know wow i'd get a steady paycheck there but i can't put my faith in general motors I have to put my faith in God who gave me the job that if it falls apart, will give me another job. Mm-hmm. So so when we say called to live by faith, we're not talking about something different than everybody lives. But we are talking about a different way that our income comes in. And we have to work at it. That's part of part of our calling and the reason it's part of our calling is because we need prayer Mm. and donors pray Mm. and small donors pray the most Mm. and so when you have big income coming from a church it really feels good but that's the least secure income you can have why because churches change pastors churches change budgets and churches change missionaries, mm. but when you've got 50 donors that give $50 or $15, I have one set of donors that have given, started with $15. They have given since 1974. Now just do the math. That mm. is a lot of money.
0: Yeah.
2: Okay. So, so you've, you've got to come to grips with the fact that you're in a nonprofit organization that sees your income coming through donations, that you need people who believe in you, and, and you need them praying and you need them giving. Mm-hmm. Okay, so is that a segue to the next question?
1: Mm-hmm. Um I'm trying to formulate a question just on the things you just talked about. You kind of started answering a question that I had because you kind of went down a trail. So it's good. But maybe uh, how does personal finances correlate? Like since we're talking about leaders watching this and maybe base leaders, ministry leaders, does my personal finances have an effect on uh, how I lead my ministry and the finances in my ministry? and what is something oh, maybe absolutely. In fact, your experience and how might that affect?
2: If you don't have the faith to believe for your for, uh, personal finances, you are never going to have the faith to believe for the ministry finances. And uh, and I found in my life, whenever uh, I did some really big projects, you know, millions of dollars mm. of projects not my millions but and you know the money had to come in and yeah. i found when god raised the ministry challenge financially for me he raised the personal challenge for me incrementally so I, it wasn't it wasn't i the same amount but he wasn't going to let me live on a ministry level disproportionately to my faith on a personal level. Hmm. And uh, and so, uh, you know, every time I knew a big exciting challenge of ministry was coming that had no money and, you know, got excited about God being able to supply that money, he hmm. would challenge me. Then I am also able to supply more for you because your needs will increase. Hmm. And he wouldn't let me live a dual identity.
0: Mm. That's good.
2: Yeah. Okay. So base finances. Yes. I've got I've got sixty million points to make here. <laughs> uh, which can, I will not try not to doubt,
1: million will be good. That's that's yes. Yep.
2: Yeah, so I'm trying to erase zeros. Mm-hmm. I took over a base when I was 50 years old. I don't recommend it, but it was a wonderful experience because it was God. And uh, and I took over the base. It had a lot of properties. It was Bertigny, Switzerland. Oh, I, gosh, I don't know the values of those properties, but probably more properties are owned there in Bertigny than any other single base in Europe, uh, certainly more than any single base in Europe. Um, And uh, there were seven staff, (laughs) (laughs) which meant it wasn't really working. There were just a few people still staying there. And uh, because I dealt with money so much with Mercy Ships and with the college and and the necessities of fundraising for both of those. Uh, I understood, although I'm not particularly administrative, that the first thing I needed to know was what did things cost at Bertini? How much money did we have? Where was it coming from? What did we spend? And so I, I told the accountants that I wanted them to present me with the last full fiscal years accounts so that we could break down who was spending what and where. They assured me that that uh, that it's too complicated. And I said, well, it's addition and subtraction. And if that's too complicated for you, then I think you're in the <laughs> wrong department. And I said, it's not too difficult for me. Now your system accounting may be too difficult, but that's not a good idea. If you don't understand where money is and how it's being spent, where it's coming from, then the system needs to be improved. Mm-hmm. So maybe that's where we start. Well, anyway, mm-hmm. they came with the accounts and we worked out where the money came from thus far, which with only seven staff and no programs, <laughs> was a simple a simple ledger. And uh, And then what costs? You know, so we go through what the utilities cost, what we're paying for telephones, what we're paying for vehicles, what we're paying for maintenance, what we're paying for food per week. You have to know all of these things in order to be a steward of God's resources. Mm -hmm. Now, you don't have to have them memorized, but you have to be, it only took me three or four months to introduce myself to all of this. The accounts did all the work. And then I'd ask questions and make them go back and do more work. And by the end of three months or so, and this is not three months every day, this is maybe, maybe 30 hours of mm-hmm. meetings. I understood what we had, what we didn't have, where we were overpaying, where we were <laughs> not paying at all, and where our money does come from and where it doesn't come from. Okay, because if my base is not running fiscally in a godly way, how can I expect anything else to run in a godly way?
1: Mm. Yeah, Mm.
2: It's like trying to run a base without eating. If you can't mirror the kingdom of God, in regards to provision of food how can you mirror the kingdom of god anywhere else and 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 you know i often think ywam bases do kind of run like third world countries they don't think about it they pray and just see what happens tomorrow well that's not biblical forward planning is biblical God had a one day plan and a seven day plan and a 4,000 year plan. And, you know, evidently he's had a couple of thousand more years plans. And so we don't know how many more years he's planning for, but God is always planning forward. He mm-hmm. is never just doing whatever he's doing all today. Mm-hmm. He has a past, he has a present, and he has a future. Mm-hmm and you say well don't we believe in the ever-present now god i'm not sure that sentence makes any sense god says today do this tomorrow i will do this Mm -hmm. in future generations i will do this in the past i've done this it pretty much seems to me that God works in continuity just like we do.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: We learn from the past, we act in the present, what we do in the present begins to determine what the future
1: will look like. Mm. Cool. Okay, uh, so, yep. Could I just ask a question there? Yeah. So, with that uh, thinking ahead and and with a base, because income and regenerating income is, is a real thing, as <laughs> you say. But, but I've been in different contexts where it's like, there are different opinions on where that money should come from and how much we should plan and what we should plan. Like, does the money come from our staff fees? Does the money come from the students? Does the money you're come from- You're just one world? point
2: ahead of me. This oh, is right. the second time you're one point ahead of me. That's my next point. Who pays <laughs> what?
1: Good.
2: Great question. Well, in scripture, God teaches us everybody pays. Everybody pays their part. Yes. Everybody.
0: Yeah.
2: So everybody contributes work. Everybody contributes finances. Everyone contributes prayer. uh, An ecclesiastical community is not a free ride. Mm. Yeah. It's not a way to get away from accountability and the realities of the real world. And so the first thing you have to do is, is delineate the different kinds of things you're doing that create income. Okay. Schools create income Mm -hmm. or should. They won't if you don't have your school leaders do budgets before and then give them the money they budgeted for when they raise it. Uh, staff fees bring in finances. We like to keep it low, but low is relative to a nation. (laughs) Um, uh, We we have to pay utilities. We own properties. We have taxes. We have tons of non-negotiable expenses that whatever you do at that base, whatever your ministry is, small team or ministry school or ministry leadership training, you benefit from that base infrastructure. So otherwise that's why you're part of the base because you don't want to start your own base. You don't want to start your own um, nonprofit 501c3. You Mm. want to have the benefit of a mailbox that you don't have to pay for, possibly the use of internet. Uh, Maybe even transportation needs on occasion. You use base vehicles. Maybe you you eat at the base, or maybe you have base housing. Uh, You you could be a team that lives five miles down the road, but you come and use the base for things. Hmm. And those have a cost. So the first thing you have to do is delineate your ministries and what they are actually utilizing of the base and then figuring out then what would be a contribution to the base that they need to make. So otherwise that contribution should be commensurate with their use. Okay. So we do this with schools. We say, okay, they're using housing, they're using food, uh, they have speakers, they have to have a room, they da, 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 They spend this amount of money on the internet um, in preparation for the school and blah, 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 blah. So here's the housing fee for the students, here's the housing fee for the staff uh, for three months, here's the staff facility fee, the, the, the school facility fee. So otherwise, they're... Comp- their contribution to the utilities and the end keep of the whole of the whole, yeah. which will only be based on three months of use and won't be as much as those that are using it 365 days a year.
0: Yeah.
2: Okay. So we have to do the homework to figure out what we get in, what we spend, what we need to spend and how much we need to raise. And we have to make that raising part. Everyone has to be involved in that. Yeah. Yeah. So. it's.
1: Yep. Go ahead. So with it, like how much, because this becomes a bigger problem, the bigger campus you have is that because a big campus like Harpenen, like there's a endless bucket of money that we need. Building new property, developing our property. How much, how much. What's ethical in terms of like, well, what what would be in terms of how much profit you can take from a school, for example?
2: Well, I said you you can take what they use. So otherwise, there is no principle in Scripture that says I ought to pay for things I don't have anything to do with. Mm -hmm. And you will find in. in scripture that the building projects were paid by paid for by donations. They didn't come out of the tithe. Mm-hmm. The tithe was designated to other things that had to happen in the ministry. And so when they built a new building or they had a new, what we would call a capital expense campaign, uh, they would raise that money specially for that. So the whole idea of building a base out of school funds, <laughs> I don't we'll think there's a university works. in the world that could do that. Yeah. <laughs> it's just ridiculous. The idea of paying for the base expenses out of schools, that will either lead to your charging too much to have any students, or it will lead to uh, uh, offering such poor quality for things the students have paid for, yeah. that God will begin to remove his blessing.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: So at Bertigny, we had a budget of five francs a day for food per person. Now that doesn't sound like a lot in Switzerland and it's not a lot in Switzerland, mm-hmm. but if the if the cook And the purchaser, no, they're going to have five francs per day, per person, and they can buy weeks and months ahead. They can really work that budget. Mm. And we ate wonderfully. Not because it was expensive, but because the cook and the purchaser got every five francs for every person and they could plan ahead. If you charge five francs for food and you give them two francs worth, then I would say that's countable as theft. Yeah. So, so I I think that uh, the the formula is simple. What what is being done needs to be paid for by those who are doing it and there is a portion that should come from schools those are the utility fees there is a portion that could, should come from small teams outside there is a portion that should come from base fundraising there is a portion that should come from staff fees uh, you know there we want to work on ways that there is a, that there is something coming from everyone i tell you why, you know, so many bases that I have gone to have tons of staff they don't want. And the reason I discovered for that 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 was because they had cheap housing. (laughs) People were there because it was a cheap place to live. If the price of housing went up to not something normal in the market, but just something reasonable to the expense (laughs) caused, they'd leave. Now, that should be a hallelujah moment. Praise God. Because those people won't even carry their own weight, let alone the weight of the thing we're trying to build. Mm -hmm. Let them go. There's no advantage to big staff. That usually is just a fat staff that that you know you wonder are these people actually doing anything? <laughs> yeah. So we we've got to be ruthless. We've got to believe, and here's what I work with. I believe if God has told me something to do, I need to know what it's gonna cost, I need to know how many people I'm gonna need, and I need to know a time scale. And timing is the most difficult part. Mm. And here's when I know it's time to do the next stage of a project. I have the money and the people. Mm. If I don't have them, it's not God's timing. Why? Because if it was God's timing, he'd send the money and the people. And we are driving ourselves to keep up with our own agendas set on our own time scales. When we don't have the resources or the or the or the people to do them, mm. and that's not God's demand on us, that's a yoke we've put on ourselves.
0: Mm. Mm. Okay, well, what do you think? Yeah. Uh, you uh, I mean, I Are can. Still I, here? I I I can relate to everything that you said. Uh, as long when you were talking, I could have examples of what happened in the last 10 years uh, in our team, even if it's a small team and find examples of, you know, everything that you shared, examples that you gave. So it's really good. Thank you, (laughs) Londa. I (laughs) want
2: to tell you one story.
0: Yeah. Cheap
2: housing doesn't benefit anybody. Mm. If we, we actually, in a YWAM context, sometimes create a, a third world living mm. style. Yeah. We let people live that way. We, we, uh, there, was, there was a gal at one base that I worked at that had been at that base and lived in a very tiny bedroom for 25 years. Mm. She was single and when i had more influence in that place i i made it my goal to to get her out of that base mm. not because she was a bad person she was a lovely person she would have stayed forever yeah. but we weren't challenging her life we were using her and she was using us because it was cheap i don't think she knew she was but she was and and it is not beneficial to have to have a base way of living together that produces invalids oh, yeah. we are a place for robust christian service. <laughs> mm. And, and we want to live on the edge and we don't think it's wrong not to live on the edge but if you want if you want to live comfortably and without being on the edge you' probably call to something else hmm. and we have to keep that cutting edge and I did finally succeed in getting her to move and uh, uh, you know of course I'm still single so I, I I don't know what happened but anyway within a year she was married. And I was never so proud of anything I did for staff development, more than that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's good. Wow. Thank you for sharing that to us. Yeah. And it's true sometimes we want to help people and, um, and provide their needs instead of God, you know, because we are leading them, you know, and it's a tendency sometimes, oh, we can help, we have the finances, but it's not helping them at all. And... So it's a good reminder of this, uh, this story that you share with us. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Because yeah, maybe staff debt is God's way of saying you need to leave now.
0: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I could see that in my team like many times. We had to learn that. <laughs> and time yeah. is going really fast, but uh it there is. are yeah, so there are questions that we used to like we, we really like to ask the speakers we have. And um, yeah, so it's about the big mistakes, you know, and I think it's yes. a, a question that we'd like to ask you. What's uh, what's b- big mistakes that you could share with us? You know, I think it's encouraging to hear that. <laughs> so we don't feel alone in our mistakes.
2: <laughs> yes, no, as I said, I, I'm sure I could do a whole week telling <laughs> stories of big mistakes. Yeah, but I'll, I'll tell you this one because mm-hmm. it's a it's the most humbling.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, although they're all humbling, uh, but for me this was the most difficult. I was uh, I was working with Mercy Ships and I was setting up the fundraising and all the communication before we launched the Anastasis and then going ahead to the ports of call that we were going to sail that, uh, to to set up the communications and the infrastructure in that next place. So the ship was still in Athens and, and, but we were going to San Pedro to the U S and then we were going to New Zealand. So I'm in, uh, I'm in California uh months ahead of time, uh, s- setting up the communication system and uh, I have a staff that come together to help with that and the fundraising. And uh we work out of a garage with with the apartment that we have. And that works just fine. But once the ship arrives, this thing's going to explode. And so we need a property. We really need a property because that ship coming in is like a tsunami. Um, And so I had begun to look for a property. And San Pedro is not a very nice part of California. It's kind of seedy and we were we were in an area where there mm. the ports of call are often where P, there are a lot of poor people or people on drugs or or mm. abuse and so I found this uh, this old it had been a hotel and it was now a flop house inhabited by about 15 uh, um, street people that had just kind of moved in and uh, it was uh, you, it was filthy it there's no way to imagine this place and so we prayed and thought this would be great because we can help these people move on we can do more than move them out we can help them find accommodations that's more human that's it doesn't have feces all over every floor um and and we can restore this building and we can we can put more ships here. So I had help from the community in regards to looking for properties and and um, those that were going to join us in finances and and so I this is my first property purchase and I'm pretty young. I might be 30 but Maybe not even thirty quite yet. And uh, I think the property was a million something, three stories. I don't remember how many rooms, but cheap for that property, but not cheap. And I've negotiated with these real estate guys and and we're down to the last things, and i've been I have been communicating with uh, my, my, those that I was responsible to. And yes, we're going to go ahead with this and we're going to agree to it. So I go in to meet with the lawyers and the real estate and uh, they really, now I know they really started working me. They had a young woman obviously not terribly experienced at purchases and they just started working me about we gotta sign now because there are other offers on the table and we're willing to take this but we need to sign now, you know and I'm going ah. And I knew that the property had been approved and and I knew that we were going to sign it and I I thought I'll just go ahead and sign. But of course, I couldn't sign my name because it was I wasn't legal. So I I signed my leader's name, and as soon as I did it, I thought, "Holy moly, this can't be good," <laughs> you know. But at yeah, the moment, I thought, "This this is how we save the building that God's told us to buy," mm. and I was just too young to see the temptation. So I walked straight into the evil. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, I, I, I told my leader that, that I had done that and said, you know, he could, you know, send me home or prosecute me or whatever he wanted because it was also illegal and he, he didn't feel he was going to do any of those things. And we, were, we got the property at the price we wanted to pay. But what we didn't know is we also bought the bar in the first floor. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that's why they wanted us to sign quickly. Because we were buying a bar that had still a two year lease. <laughs> oh. So I bought the only building, probably in YWAM, that had a functioning bar on the first floor. And I got to live with the embarrassment of that for two years. But my conscience was seared for decades. Mm. And I thought, that will never happen again, Lord, by your grace. Mm. I broke the law to make sure we could get
0: God's building. Mm. Mm. Thank you for sharing this with uh, so much humility, you know. <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> yeah.
2: Well, I mean, really humility is uh, what's our choice. Yeah. Mm. We can be humble or or we can be unreal. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I don't yeah. do fantasy very
0: well. <laughs> <laughs> wow, would you uh would you share another mistake that you uh, you've made? Or? Oh,
2: so many mistakes. Well, I mean the funny one, although it's not really funny, <laughs> is that uh, this would be. This would be mid 70s, a whole bunch of us get the idea for fundraising businesses that we can run on the side that would fundraise for us, and we'd probably make so much money, we could fund the bases this way. And, uh, and one guy in Texas, he, he, uh, the Man computer machine had just come out, it was brand new, and you could buy one of those machines. And for about $1,000 and put it in a in a pizzeria or someplace and, you know, make 300, 400 a week out these things. Mm-hmm. And a good track record. And so he bought two Pac-Man machines and put them in a pizza place there in Texas. And, you know, great. God's going to supply this way. But the pizza place burned down. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh. <laughs> I don't think
2: God was blessing that. And, uh, and I got the idea because the oil, because uh, American cars in dollars and Swiss francs, American cars were a steal. So there was a thing called a, a, a Capri Caprice Cadillac that was just gorgeous. And I could get one in Michigan, where I grew up, for maybe $5,000. We were going on a stateside trip to travel across America, uh, letting people communicating mercy ships in different parts of America. We could drive it, drive it back to the to the East Coast, and then I could ship it over and sell it in Switzerland. And in Switzerland, it was worth probably twenty thousand dollars in equivalent. And uh, and they were selling like hotcakes, you know, so we got the car. I drove it with the team. That was nice to have a Cadillac. I shipped it. That went really smoothly. And while the car is on the ship headed for Europe, the the bottom of the oil market drops out for the very first time. And when the bottom of the oil market fell out, gas went sky high. And I couldn't give that car away. (laughs) So I became famous for the great YWAM entrepreneur who bought a Cadillac.
0: So funny. (laughs)
2: Yeah, it's funny now. It was kind of funny then in a painful sort of way.
0: (laughs) Oh, wow. We could listen to your stories forever. <laughs> so You'd good. be deeply encouraged. I know you yeah. would be. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And another last questions maybe to finish with, uh, even if uh, I, we we would have tons of questions to ask you, but, you know, uh we like to ask what books you're reading now or books you would like to advise us to read, so maybe you've yes. chosen one of few few ones I, I i
2: chose the 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 three that have been mine mind molders for me in the, in the last year or so yeah uh they're, they're the books I think everyone should read, especially uh, Someone in Missions. Uh, and the most recent of those is Paul's autobiography written by N.T. Wright. It's a, it's a long book, but don't be afraid. He doesn't use very big words. So I'm dyslexic. It took me a long time to read, but oh, my God. Gosh, mm. you can say goodbye to thinking Paul in the New Testament is saying something different than Moses in the Old. Mm. It is amazing. Mm. Uh, the second one I, I read a couple of years ago, and I had the same impact. It's the, the autobiography of Bonhoeffer, and the name of it is Bonhoeffer, and it's written by Metaxas. And uh, I felt like I was reading Bonhoeffer's life and the struggles and tensions he went through as a prophecy for the age we live in, for the age where we cannot tell the difference between nationalism and 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 biblical thought. Hmm. And uh, oh, it was so sobering. And of course he prayed for his country. He prayed for his country that if God could spare it, God would. But Bonhoeffer said, I, I don't think you can. Mm-hmm. And then of course he died for his conviction, trying to be an influence. Uh, that, that's, that's a life-changing book for me. And then the other I read several years ago, is called The Great, the Great Emergence. Mm-hmm. And it's written by a gal named Phyllis Tickle little tiny book, uh, but she is a church historian and she is looking at the 500-year cycles that we see in history where Christianity is gone. So from the, from the first century to the 5th, from the 5th to the 10th, from the 10th to the 15th and 15th mm-hmm. to now, showing that there are there are threads of things God is doing in each of these cycles that we can expect to see in the times moving forward from here, because we are in another great uh, change of everything globally. Hmm. And so she goes through what God's, how God uses that and what the issues are that, that have been in the past and as they emerge now and, man she passed away she wrote several books but they're all a little bit the same where she's trying to readapt that first book so yeah paul bonhoeffer and the great emergence
1: yes that is wonderful um thank you Landa. i'm going to try to give us a little bit of a a summary of this thank you for your time I mean, what I'm hearing is it's, it comes down to the simple things. Like we need to know yeah. where our money goes and where they come from. And I, I love the point of like to to assume that we're all corrupt to a degree and ask mm-hmm. the question of where do I sin where I don't think that I'm sinning? Yeah. And that faithfulness in the small things and how that, that grows us uh, mm-hmm. for the bigger things. And, and I think it can't be said enough and how quickly we forget how close account we need to have uh, yes. on our finances and how very quickly it can, it can go wrong if yes. we don't yes
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, um yes so uh, yeah we look forward to your book coming out too I guess we should keep a close <laughs> me eye me too on yeah <laughs> it goes it goes fast Hooray! yes mm-hmm. that is good um Yes, so that's what we have for us today. It's been wonderful again. Thank you, Landa, for your time. Thank you. Uh, Thank you. I hope to to be with you. Yes. It's been wonderful. And again, it's always with these hours. It's it's the joy to have someone, but then the frustration that is so short. There are (laughs) billion more (laughs) questions. I'm like, how about this? And what about this on our baseline? (laughs) I know.
2: That's the next one. Yes. Yeah,
1: exactly. We will have a twenty-four-seven talk another time.
2: There we go. Oh, <laughs> oh. Okay, I could probably come for three hours of that. <laughs> <laughs> I
1: could See probably you guys. yes. Thank you, Landa. Thank bless you. God you. Bless. bless. you. Yes. Uh, thank you all for coming and for listening. Uh, we. I just want to make some announcement uh, for us. Um, we do have. Sorry, I'm just trying to find my my notes here for our, uh, um, where is it? So what's coming up next? So we have something called FutureWise that is a quarterly leadership summit. uh, And the next event is the 24th of May. So this month, put it in your diaries, 24th of May. It is on on the ELLC Facebook page, so you can see too. And there will be the, the, our, the speaker will be Dr. Ruth Perrin, who is an expert uh, on the changing shape of youth culture, which we all should be very concerned about and all wanting to know uh, a lot about. So about Gen Z and millennials. uh, And, and her most recent book is Change, Changing Shape, the Faith Lives, the Faith Life of Millennials. And we encourage whole teams and bases to join us for this uh, event. And it will involve talks and breakout discussions and a panel uh, interview and all these things. So, with that, we want to say thank you for all for watching. And uh, yeah, we'll see you around out there in the world. <laughs>